I've done weed for pain, for like this pain relief, it's much better. Like hands down, the weed kills the pain so much more effectively than any opiate they've given me. How does one do weed? Do they do they inject it? Do you inject weed? What I do is I go buy it, I crush it up, right? You know, you gotta crush it up. You can't you can't just take it whole, you gotta crush that shit up. Then you get a backwood, you put it in the backwood, you roll it up, you light it up, and then you smoke and go to bed. That's called smoking weed. This is like the dark. <laughs> this is like the fucking dark equivalent. Doing weed is some shit that Pete Buttigieg would say or Kamala Harris would say. But I say that's like the narc equivalent of asking me if like I fucking snort creatine. All I'm saying, you probably doing you, you probably do. The only person here that looks more conspicuously like they smoke weed than I do is probably Richard. But that's just because he has dreads. <laughs> Let's yeah. just be honest. I get asked a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's true. <laughs> Although there was like six months where I kept getting approached for people wanting to like buy crack, and I didn't, I, fe- <laughs> I felt like it, I was putting off some sort of new vibe, and I was like, I was really starting to like wonder what was going on, but it, it passed, so I'm hoping that was just a seasonal thing or something. You, I'm gonna start calling you the Keebler crack elf, bro. <laughs> like that's. <laughs> I've never right, seen. Wait, you wait. You have, a, you have seasonal affective disorder, but instead of like depression, you just start dealing crack. Is that <laughs> you got you That's... got a sad seasonal affective drug dealer? Right. That's the impression I got. Oh I my guess. god! Too uh, much schoolboy Q. Too loud. I guess. Go ahead. Let's not, get, let's not get derailed, right? That's what we do best here at the discourse. Well, yeah, usually, but this week I've been having kind of like a weird, I don't know, mental. Deficiency, <laughs> in, in, or rather to put the put it the, put it better, or put it more uh, not more articulately, but put it in a way that can, people can understand. I've been thinking, I've been having bad thoughts, in mm. in the sense where I feel as though, and I don't want you guys to judge me about this. I, I don't, I don't. This is a judgment free zone. When I talk, everyone else is going to be judged by me. But um, I feel as though president rap rock insane obungler as the kids call him otherwise known as obama uh to longtime fans of discourse and no one else i think he might be my least favorite president or if not least favorite at least in the bottom two like powerful second (laughs) i don't know i feel like clinton gives him a run for his money i feel like they're all bad but Barack Hussein Obama, he's the one who I like to hear from post-presidency the least. And that's, again, weird because I think Bush is quite, you know, is in the process of being rehabilitated by the worst and the, really the worst, most annoying segments of our media culture. Uh, but Barack Obama does this really fucked up thing where he comes out there and like either he pretends as though he was not president for almost a decade and engages in some sort of like weird cultural critique as though he's just like oh yeah like the past decade i've been teaching uh the freshman seminar law gender and race to pre-law students at university of chicago and now i am just engaging in cultural criticism on twitter or at these conferences like any number of like the fucking like low rent bullshit like Twitter professors who are just like trying to like make fucking weird long ass threats about civil rights and voting and like just so they can end up on like fucking Chris Hayes show or Chris Hayes podcast or whatever but like 
it becomes across as such a huge discrepancy in the, what I know to be true about Obama's presidency. And then the secondary thing about him is that he comes out there and he, like, he scolds people. Like he acts like this like really weird, like, I don't know, adult in the room mentality that he still embodies for a lot of like liberal bullshit where like he scolds people for not essentially not trying to affect change politically the way he wants them to like recently he was out in news like talking about how cancel culture is wrong and purity politics is wrong and people think that the only way to engage in politics is to make a line in the sand and not you know sort of declare everyone who doesn't agree with you as a bad person and it comes across as so fucking disingenuous that it's just like annoying and that's like that's kind of like the like the, the just the the surface layer of it not to even start litigating his actual fucking like history if that makes any sense i had had hopes that obama would come out after his presidency this is probably i don't know maybe 2012 ish that after a presidency he would come back uh you know more like how he had started his original campaign and would be this bombastic voice at the left and would uh you know be freed from the constraints of decorum and such that the president the office of president held and uh, unfortunately you know now i can see where he's been how he's been since he left office and also what's happened to any notion of decorum by the president with trump in office so like both of those uh are gone and uh, the obama that i had hoped might resurface is also gone and like uh turns out that was all like a con job or he was just thoroughly you know uh i don't know indoctrinated into the system if, if there was any sincerity in his original political ambitions which i think it's fair to say is questionable well i mean ideologically and personality wise obama just came across as the world's great you know the world's worst but the world's largest mediator like i said so like you know he had the supermajority in the first two years something that people forget he had the ability to punish fucking joe lieberman for not getting in line on single payer he had the ability to you know essentially bail out the mortgage you know people who had been sold toxic mortgages had been sold uh had been preyed upon by banks in order for in that you know in the 2008 housing crisis but he chose not to right he he also chose not to come out in strong enough favor of any number of issues right and people kept saying well uh second second uh second term he'll be the you know the pop the progressive president he campaigned as and then okay well second term he really wasn't that but you know what the, Repub- the republicans were just doing too much you know too much obstruction there was no way he could get these these things through but after he's president you know after he is you know the president he will be able to speak his mind and really all that motherfucker does now is come out and chide people for not you know getting in line and make fucking shitty netflix uh, animes right i don't know what they pay him to do i don't think he's put out anything with besides like fucking seven sin season fucking for but that the part the part that's frustrating to me also because as a black person when you make commentary about like trump or about bush you know the first thing people will try to get you with is like well did you know that the concentration camp started under your president obama it's like what the fuck makes him my president it's just like i was too young to vote for him the first time and i was too like fucking like i don't know what you call it uh pretentious to vote for him the second time i mean you know damn well that any black person is responsible for what any other black person does at any and all times i'm not taking something responsibility for obama unless he shares some of that fucking netflix money it, it didn't exactly surprise me that he didn't go, like want to litigate bush but uh, the 
the banks in particular, where it felt like you're supposed to be in a superior position to to this crowd and be able to impose some sort of punishment. And then they started giving out bonuses and stuff. Is like it just confirmed what I what I had worried about during his campaign when uh, he had started to basically take the donations from larger banks. And I, at that time, in 2008, I wasn't. Uh, wise enough to realize how full of shit he was like I was skeptical but not quite what like wise to it but then also I think it's uh, pertinent to put it in context of he was running in a primary against Hillary Clinton and while I didn't recognize how trash he was I did recognize Hillary Clinton wasn't an option and so like uh, in that light I think a lot of people were hoping that Obama was going to be something significantly and directly different than Hillary Clinton rather than just essentially uh, supplanting her and taking her position and running as basically the same neoliberal machine. I remember at one point during the Bush administration, Cheney, Cheney was asked uh, on an interview about, you know, the American people are overwhelmingly against this war in Iraq. And his response was so. And he just looked deadpan in, at, at the interviewer like, why? Why is that something that should matter to me? <laughs> like, and this is like and it also leads to how we have the perpetual war with Congress essentially abandoning any duty to like oversee our, our wars. And so we just don't really have what are technically wars, but instead just ongoing and persistent bombing campaigns that uh, in Iraq, you know, uh, were responsible for, you know, hundreds of thousands of deaths and continue to kill tens of thousands of people throughout the Middle East. And uh, I don't think people really appreciate like just how much death and destruction is like the torture is like these are all horrific things that both happened uh, uh, pervasively and were expanded massively under the Bush administration, but continued uh, during the Obama administration into uh, to one end or another, depending on the particular location and like how horrific these things are and how bad they are. It's just like so when somebody says, you know, fuck Obama and people get, you know, oh, you know, get, get one, you know, clutch their pearls and shit. And it's just like, I don't think you really appreciate just how horrific this stuff is or how bad it is that letting uh, letting Bush go off and be rehabilitated as he is now is to everything that the you know we imagine the best parts of humanity or this country is uh, it could be i think the issue with obama as it pertains to accountability is not that he invented or is the origin of our systemic lack of, of accountability that obviously predates him right you know he didn't invent us not holding powerful people accountable he didn't even invent us pretending like holding powerful people accountable would cause some kind of systemic or social collapse what i think he did do was he took that systemic lack of accountability that already existed and because of his maturity or rather the perception that he was the adult in the room and that he was the grand you know chess master 18th dimensional mr mistle picklick uh you know wizard of bipartisan accountability bipartisan uh cooperation like he convinced people that not holding the bush administration accountable was a political and strategic choice that it was something that could be done and still maintain the tools and ability to hold people accountable in the future and that it was a legitimate political political and strategic choice when it made sense right it when it made sense 
and wouldn't essentially prevent accountability in the future. And I think we're seeing that that's not the case. We're seeing that we don't have those tools. And, you know, the center, as it relates to Trump, is still struggling, or Trump and his many, many crimes and his impeachment, is still struggling to come to terms with the fact that they kind of abandoned the tools of accountability and they and they did it willingly. You know, Obama convinced a lot of people that losing was winning. And, you know, I think that is you know, the separation of power from politics is one of the neoliberal like goals. Right. You know, people should be able to talk about the problems of society without actually solving them when they're in power. And when it comes to Obama, he mastered neoliberalism. He was the apex of it. We can never go back. People saying there's going to be a new Obama. I don't think that's ever going to be the case because he was the best at what he did. And what he did was establish or help cement rather a new criteria for winning that. Yeah, it was okay to lose a thousand seats. It was okay to let the Bush administration and bankers go get away with many crimes. It was okay to not prosecute war crimes or do investigations into torture regimes as long as as you could feel as though you were the moral and intellectual superior to a theoretical class of racists out there that, you know, were largely causing us not to be able to have nice things, but shit, that didn't really affect the center, right? So I think, you know, in sort of trying to conceptualize the damage that Obama's legacy is, right, or that Obama did to America, you know, and not just the way what he did to the Middle East and expanding our drone war. Like, I'm forced to contend that I think that, you know, he convinced a lot of people that accountability still existed and that our lack of accountability was actually just, you know, a political choice. And I think you see that reverberating, reverberating throughout the liberal intelligentsia, like your centrist, your center left, your democratic punditry, your democratic, you know, uh, aligned you know, voter, like still believing in accountability and still, you know, being willing to rehabilitate the Bush administration because they think that that's a good thing to do, but also thinking that, you know, having a definition of winning that is so radically divorced from ability to affect material change that... It, it's almost sad to look at it, it. It really is just that learned helplessness that we you know we may use inappropriately, but it's the truth. It, it, when I look at it, right, like like Chad, I was actually not old enough to vote for Obama in the first, the very first time since we're like a year apart, right, in age. I was in high school at the time, though, right? And I was remember being an AP governor. So I was taking AP government and politics at the time. And we talked about the election, right? And we talked about a lot of the policies and so for me, the Obama, like when Obama came into office was when I started to read, uh, started to read more theory. And I started to actually understand politics. I got lucky. My AP Gov teacher was and is a communist and was a great man. Really appreciate Gaspar and all the work that he does with the kids. But for me, right, like that was the first time like that, that, that campaign was like, oh, wow. Like politics became real, not only because there was somebody that looked like me, right? Which was important to me. I was like, okay, cool. Like that got, that first sparked my interest in, okay, I'm going to pay attention to what's going on here because there's a black guy running. But also was the time when I was actually learning about the machinations of government and what politics is like and what camp, running campaigns are like and how people actually feel about things. And so I started paying attention and I started watching, you know, so I started watching MSNBC. That was kind of where I started. And it just seemed... To be like a, it just seemed to be a lot of bullshit that were coming that was coming out. There seemed to be a lot of bullshit 
in particular with Obama. And as I got older, right, and as I watched more and more politics and as the next election came around, I don't actually think I voted in 2012. I'm pretty sure I didn't. Um, right. Just because at that point, I just was not a fan of Obama. And for many of the same reasons I'm not today, like I didn't know as much about what was going on with our foreign policy, but I damn well knew that, hey, you could you could pass universal health care, but you didn't. And that for me was a big red flag. I think it was a big red flag for a lot of people kind of in our age bracket of "Mm, that's really not okay. But I think the thing that really bothers a lot more folks today is that rehabilitation of George W. Bush. And I think the reason why Obama feels he has to rehabilitate Bush is if nobody rehabilitates Bush, who's going to rehabilitate him, right? If we had an open and honest examination of Bush's record, if we actually held Bush accountable for the horrific things that he did in office, we'd have to hold every president accountable for what they did in office. And that's just not, that just does not behoove the system. So I don't think that we will ever see a case in which a president actively comes out and says, no, we are going to, you know, deal with the war crimes committed by the past uh, past um, administrations. We're not like we will never see an open, thorough and honest examination of America's history and America's role in the world, because that would lead to the dismantling of not only the American empire, but that would lead to the, the demonstrations in the street. People would take up, would take to the streets in mass, shut everything down and demand a complete change of the system. Because if people really, if we were to really truthfully and honestly talk about what we did, people's understanding and fundamental beliefs, not only about them, their country, but themselves would have to change. Like people would be confronted with the ugly things that they that has been done in their name and that they've actively supported because they just thought, well, I got to trust the people who are in charge. Well, I mean, in hindsight, uh, Obama being Clinton was hard, but it was not as hard as it, it seemed at the time. Uh, I think we've had the opportunity to see that not only is Clinton a uniquely bad politician, uh, but she also surrounds herself with uniquely inept staff. So, like, he definitely had a more difficult time beating her than he did beating John McCain, but neither were particularly insurmountable odds, right? I think that in 2016, the Clinton campaign was a bit more insurmountable because they wanted to prevent a re and they wanted to prevent a sort of a repeat of what happened in 2008 where she lost, but also they wanted to repeat they did they wanted to prevent somebody who was less friendly to banks uh from winning where obama again like adair said and like richard pointed out like you know like there were signs before he was elected that he wasn't really what people were projecting onto him but part of being a skilled speaker was that he was very skilled at letting people at saying things that would allow people to project that onto him while also like actually saying the things he was going to do which is sounds kind of counterintuitive but he was good at it yeah i think people really wanted to just think is like oh he's just saying that to you know acquiesce like to keep the white people calm you know like that's what this is about it's all he's going to get in there and he's going to the basketball courts in and you know he's like he's kicked back <laughs> with some lean in the office and you know what i'm saying well i mean well that's the seventh dimensional chess thing that people still think that he's playing like that he, mm-hmm. that some people still and like that to me like all of the excuses that people make for obama all you know sum up to the same thing that 
it, that they don't believe that it was right to have any expectations for him other than setting a standard for be of being the first black president. Now, I'm not like some people. Like, again, I don't know who I'm referring. I don't know who I'm referring to when I say some people, but I do think that there is value, a sort of cultural value in having the first black president. And if all else were equal, and he just didn't make things worse or things didn't get worse under him, I would say he's a net positive, but things obviously got worse under him, right? You know, you know, black unemployment rate didn't do, didn't do as well as people expected. And of course the excuse was, well, I'm everybody's president, not just black people's president. It's like, well, listen here, nigga, you're black. <laughs> you need to All learn right. real quick. Uh, <laughs> actually, let me be quite clear. You are black people's president. He um, real quick with the Republicans buy shoes too, so. Well, yeah, they, but they don't buy $1,500 sneakers. They burn their Nikes every time. Like, they burn their Nikes when like fucking Nike hires Cal and Kaepernick. All they do is burn their shit constantly. Uh, luckily, they don't fucking read because then they have to burn their books. And they, but... But no, like, and, and also, I mean, but I think people liked Obama too because a his his campaign was tailor made as Adair hinted to prior, like it was tailor made for two thousand eight. Everyone was kind of coming off of like the rampant jingoism mm. of the Bush administration. Everyone was tired of like all of the gaffes and fucking like dumb statements made by Bush, and so an articulate, visibly different presidential candidate meant a lot at the time you know he was smart he was charismatic he was a blank slate too right like there are very few presidential candidates even today who have as little you know essentially as little uh paper trail uh as obama did with little you know things people could look at to say oh well maybe he's not really about what he says he's about he didn't vote for the iraq war right i mean like that was mm-hmm. a thing that not a lot of presidential candidates could say because everyone pretty much voted for the iraq war at the time so like he, you know you could point to things about his past that sort of hinge towards him being more to the left but really he was kind of a blank slate again the only person who's like that now is kind of like pete Buttigieg because he's like the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, but where you he know, got like a grand total of like eight thousand votes, I think. So yeah, eight thousand like four hundred and fourteen, which is which is what makes his whole fucking like black people aren't voting for him because he's gay thing weird because there's at least eight thousand four hundred fourteen gay black people. I mean, <laughs> I mean, so it seems like you know it seems like you'd be able to at least cobble together the same amount of people who voted for you in South Bend and be happy about that shit. But and also like that's not mental words either. Obama was Obama. Obama, much like his uh, brother from another mother, Justin Trudeau, put a very convenient blackface over American politics, right? And part of that meant that the election of Barack Obama or getting him elected was something that people, both white and black and other, you know, purple and yellow, were able to point to as the end of racism. And people like that, you know, even if it's not explicitly state that's like being the actual end of racism people like those little symbolic stopgap moments that like can that they can sort of point to and say okay yeah here's where things became better right even though like you know even even post civil rights era post you know uh, voting rights act post all of these kind of like milestone moments we see an immediate rollback there they still act as touchstones for people to go like oh here's where things get better for this particular population and therefore for the entire america as a sort of social progress is measured as like the breaking of first as opposed to like the raising of the bottom floor uh like he represented a lot of like oh like well hey this is where america finally 
reckoned with his racist past, but it really didn't. And second, you know, he represented a convenient blackface for American imperialism. It became a lot harder for people to engage with America's rampant destruction of the, you know, developing world nation in the Middle East and North Africa when Obama was doing it because no one really wanted to sort of engage with the kind of weird intersection or weird confliction that exists within the way people understand essentially identity of like oh we have a black president bombing vulnerable populations what does that really mean for the way i understand social justice it's like well it means that you don't really understand social justice but it's like it's not really that complicated it allowed people to sort of escape into rather to live vicariously through his inherent blackness and avoid having to you know actually engage with what america was doing for a very long time only to wake up eight years later and we're going oh wow Um, the war on terror has expanded from two countries to seven and also the you know executive branch has un 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 uh rainable rainable power that's not a fucking word has unstoppable power because congress is always in a deadlock and because just the rampant number of executive actions that were you know occurring and have been occurring meant that no one is fucking able to really stop uh you know a president out of control but again trump's election demonstrated that a lot of things that obama said weren't possible could have been done in the first hundred days if he just wanted to like nothing that could be stopped oh no absolutely and like i remember like leading into 2016 when i realized how many there's this large liberal contingent that just wasn't going to engage with it when uh, reports came out that like uh just between January 2012 and uh, February thir- uh, 2013, so in like one year, like 90% of the people killed in airstrikes by the U.S., this is that, that we acknowledge, were not the targets and were essentially civilians. So nine out of the 10 people that we were dropping bombs on and killing weren't even who, who we were aiming at. And like there was no liberal outcry or anything like that. And I remember distinctly like back in uh, 2008 and seeing Code Pink and thinking, wow, Wow, that they're they're a little extreme and they seem like they you know they don't understand their the issues or whatever and it's like now i realize just why there's like that kind of outrage and then bernie sanders gets it for yelling about issues and stuff is like when you actually and uh they mentioned it as well essentially is like when we actually start to analyze and look at what's going on it's infuriating like and like it's over the top horrific and bad and it's like the complete lack of engagement or accountability from liberals to obama i think is then reflective of and enhances the lack of accountability uh, from obama towards bush when we talk about the lack of liberal outcry about stuff let's be real in american politics if the president is if the current sitting president is on quote unquote your side of the aisle which we know realistically they're not right they're on they're on their own side they're on the side of the rich they're on the side of the capitalist class they're on the side of those folks they are not on the side of everyday average americans but americans like to believe that the whole system doesn't work if people don't so that said if the if the sitting president is quote unquote on your side of the aisle you're not going to see a lot of complaints about that president by those folks and then when it comes to the quote when it comes to american liberals right the american right is terrifyingly fascist the american left is also terrifyingly fascist the right even more so and so when you have someone like obama racism is going to be the first thing that people lean on and they're going to lean on it heavily 
And we saw that for eight years, right? We saw that. It was not surprising. So in the face of people saying that Obama, that Michelle Obama was a gorilla and other things like that, right? Well-meaning white people took that. They There's two reasons why they didn't, uh, they didn't come out in just absolute anger. The first is they had the ability then to define themselves as not racist via Obama. They said, well, I voted for Obama, right? That's where we get that. I would have voted for Obama for a third term bullshit coming out of, right? They're like, I support Obama. Therefore, I support black people. Therefore, nothing I do say, think, or act on can be racist, right? They're like, I'm not out here saying Michelle Obama looks like a gorilla. So I'm not racist. And that was huge. I'm forwarding the email to my nephews, but I'm not saying it out loud. But continue. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And that was, that was a major point for liberals. So that in and of itself, they kind of traded things off. They're like, one, I get to say I'm not racist because I voted for Obama. And two, the people that were being bombed don't matter to most Americans. And this is this is true regardless of your own ethnicity, right? Most Americans don't give a fuck about anybody outside of America. This idea of American exceptionalism is poisonous. It, it it infects literally every single American, and it's not something that you can get away from in the same way that we can't get away from being racist or sexist or whatever because of the society we were raised in. You must actively work on and look at and continue continuously evaluate where your position is and what you're doing in America, how things are going. That is part of what it means to do, right, to do that kind of work. And, so and calling yourself a socialist or a leftist or anything like that doesn't absolve you or, Im- or immunize you from being able to uh, fall into those same traps is, I think, important to mention as well. Continue. Exactly. Right. And that is that's really important. We see that case in point with Sanders. Right. His foreign policy has been shit. He voted to extradite us out of Shakur out of Cuba. He's, you know, pro drones, all these other things. Those are the that's that's American imperialism. That's believing in American exceptionalism. And that is a problem. Also, socialist has defined theory behind it please don't call yourself that if you're not actually you know looking at reading the theory and finding it to be applicable there are books read them if you're able but that's beside the point catch me outside catch me outside if you got a problem with it (laughs) (laughs) right so but getting back you gotta bench at least 225 you want to talk that shit go ahead (laughs) (laughs) but like uh, white uh, liberals in particular in particular again white liberals they cannot they could not complain against obama because he was the perfect inoculation to their racism Sure, they supported bombing brown people for no other reason than they existed, right? But they voted for Obama. So because of that, they can't be racist. They they can't be, you know, Islamophobic because they voted for a black man whose middle name is Hussein. So Obama provided great cover, right? Like you said, it provided a brown face for American imperialism. It provided a way it, it was his his access to blackness became white people's access to blackness, became their access to being able to use his blackness as a shield against reconciling what the horrible things done in their name that they actively supported, but could not come out and say that they supported in any in any real way shape or form i just want to say that eric holder played a lot of the did a lot of this too i remember you oh, mighty black attorney right. yeah, fuck yeah, him so too I, exactly yeah no, i agree with you like um barack obama's blackness was and like their proximity to it was a way for them to negotiate clout and social capital and, and liberal spaces essentially like voting for obama was like a token you could put like a merit badge they could put on their fucking like boy scout uh sash or girl scout sash or you know whatever what's the what's the non the non-binary version of that i don't think uh, we have one because america is violently gendered for no reason yeah it, yeah it doesn't make i mean it, yeah, it, it is i don't know just it, 
it, it's 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 unfortunate but you know the alternative is that we we are all killed in a uh, gendered explosion so yeah just, <laughs> the the point i was trying to make is that like yeah it's something that they could trade for clout in their circles and it's something that they could use to point to you know i always say that hillary clinton's main main point of of a brand viability was that you know if you vote for clinton you only had to be nice to one woman to in order to claim you're a feminist barack obama had a little bit more going on for him than she does because like he's not terrible and literally every sense where he is like fun to listen to and like he's a great orator she can barely like i can barely stay awake when she fucking talks because she's boring but in reality it's just like him chastising people for not like for not for engaging in purity politics and trying to cancel george w bush i guess or any number of people doesn't make sense to me because well a because i don't know what cancel culture is but even if i did know what cancel culture is I would have to contend that it's inappropriate for somebody who literally decided not to engage in the the proper procedure for holding people accountable to come out and complain about essentially not vigilante justice, but extrajudicial or rather just like informal and social, yeah, informal and social sanctions. It's like you don't get to like literally stop people from engaging in uh like essentially a trial or a litigation of the bush administration or bankers and then come out and be like hey well you know what we have x we have overcorrected or maybe corrected appropriately or maybe just like hey we have initiated social sanctions because this guy's shit and we hate him uh regarding bush or biden or whatever and go like well that's not fair it's like well you had the opportunity to go the formal route like you personally had the opportunity to go the formal route and engage in like a literal like public you know essentially conversation about accountability you chose not to in favor of looking ahead because you wanted to immunize power from the effects of misusing power essentially to enrich oneself and so all we really have when it comes to this, these certain people is essentially booing them in public or throwing water on them when they come to a, a, a restaurant that we're, that we frequent. That's all we have, because ultimately you have established a pattern of just essentially uh freedom to transgress against the public good right you know at what point do we say okay well yeah you don't you you know you will not do what we tasked you with doing which is essentially being the standard bearer for society the world's largest public servant so we have to engage in formal sanctions maybe we informal sanctions you know social sanctions maybe we would not have to do that maybe we wouldn't have to boo fucking george w bush or see if he was you know in a jail cell somewhere or if he had stood trial or if he had faced down like his accusers from the various countries that are now left in ruins but unfortunately instead we just agreed that it was better left in the past and of course the problem just compounded itself because of that but you know i don't think you should be able to come out and go like people nowadays are just too down with you know purity politics and saying okay boomer and fucking can't and canceling people just because they have a slight disagreement and it's like no motherfucker like you think maybe that is true (laughs) like but the reason it's true is because 
and so many other cases, uh, you're like we are we become accustomed to there just simply not being accountability when people are transgressed upon. I mean, for like, and people expect that now. I mean, honestly, it sounds silly, but you can tell people don't expect accountability when people in elite positions or people who can sort of reference power or or who can or are symbolic of powerful institutions or just large sums of money because like everyone knew that like fucking Jeffrey Epstein was going to be assassinated the moment that he was arrested the moment he mm-hmm. went to jail the moment he went to jail everyone was like oh this motherfucker is not going to see a day in court because like there's like because he has he knows too much information the only people who thought he were going to see a day in court are the people who exist in positions of power too and who see a real big distinction or who is close enough to positions of power so like the media class as well the elite media class for like a better term and who were like oh yeah it's going to be crazy when they start actually litigating all the people who were involved in this fucking multi-decade infamous like pedophile fucking uh pedophile fucking ring it's like everyone else was like oh no that's never gonna happen it's like they're, they're like no 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 tripping. like no of course not and i mean recently even the news went to became like oh yeah like another coroner is saying that epstein didn't commit suicide i was like yeah of course not no one thought he did and i mean again you and, and even further you have certain aspects of the press who are like it's not like the debate over whether jeffrey epstein committed suicide or not should not be rehashed i was like well first of all there really wasn't a debate uh everyone said it wasn't a suicide except for the people who were implicated in those lists right. <laughs> in the, list, the coroner that they paid off and the like in the guards who were supposed to be watching him but decided to have a slumber party instead and turned off all the cameras because the noise was keeping them up it's like so everyone else knew that it wasn't a suicide because everyone else is used to accountability not existing and is used to the law not being used in a way that even slightly resembles what their moral code would be but then you have like a smaller core who's like actually the law is fine except for a few you know eccentric cases like no no law is fake it's made up it's bullshit it's meant to preserve power i saw the same thing coming when they assigned uh muller to the trump thing is like oh muller is like that's the guy who handled the nfl and ray rice where like somehow they managed to have this video of ray rice the slug and his uh, wife or girlfriend at the time and just mysteriously didn't act on it and then when it gets released they you know act on it and do all these type of things it's like what he did was essentially give them uh like a slap on the wrist without a slap on the wrist saying that you guys messed up but there's nothing criminal and nothing that wrong that we have to do anything and it's, that's exactly what i expected him to provide Trump and uh, Trump just did his best to try and prevent him from being able to do that by uh, publicly admitting and bragging about every criminal thing he did. And I think the lack of accountability uh, is important in the aspect of like, I think of uh, the JFK quote probably said by people before him, but essentially those who make peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. And essentially uh, I see that applying to this accountability when you make the system systemic accountability impossible, like Obama did, then the kind of social sanctions that you describe are inevitable. That's that's what's going to happen. I mean, you can't really you can't really blame. To be fair, you can't really blame the lack of accountability within our culture on Barack Obama specifically. That's not fair. Really, he is he was just like the. I would say he was the person that, rightly or wrongly, I would I would trend towards rightly because I think that you know 
you got to expect and I expect that people are only going to be paying half attention to shit uh, politically on the news. So like if you're half listening to him, he sounds so good. So good to the point where I had to stop watching his ass. I was like, you know what? He's he's conf- he's mind like he's doing some sort of black magic on me. He's mind tricking me. I can't watch this. I can't watch his speeches. But like rightly or wrongly, I think people put a lot of faith in him as like an example of how the electoral system could work and so it's distressing that he comes out and is like and refuses to acknowledge that he let people down right i think that if you're being again cynical you go like well really he never said he was going to do x y and z he just said hope and change but that's not really i mean that's that's the kind of argumentation that is incredibly semantic and incredibly technical but like if you told your girlfriend that shit like i never said that i was going to do x i just <laughs> heavily impl- like they would punch you in the fucking mouth because like that's not how adults communicate because, because because like if you heavily imply certain things like or like if you know people have put a certain amount of hope behind you which i would say the ofa and obama for america and all other like all the other grassroots organizations were indicative of you know like I think he did more to harm people's faith in the electoral system as a reasonable mechanism for like affecting change than he's willing to admit. And that he did, you know, again, I would say this is for the best. He did irreparable damage to that kind of viability, to the viability of neoliberalism as like essentially rather the viability that neoliberalism in sort of asserted that the left had or the center left or liberals or the Democratic Party, whatever you want to say in this particular circumstance, that that Democratic Party had, which was that, okay, well, rhetorically, we've mastered the language of social justice. We've mastered the language of symbolic social justice, of anti-racism, of feminism, of all this shit. He was the apex of that. But in being the apex of that and being the apex of neoliberal politics, of tokenization, he was America's black friend. Like, you know, like in, in being the best at that, he ruined it for everyone after him. It's like and that was one of the reasons why people saying that, like, oh, this person is going to be the next Obama. It's like, yeah, there's a desire to go back to Obama. There's a nostalgia for Obama and I, that, you know, I don't think that we are have we've seen the, a reckoning with Clinton, but I don't think we're going to see a reckoning with like the damage that Obama did both to the Democratic Party and also to the country as a whole and also just to the world. Right. I think one of another one of his big failures was not really articulating an alternative rationale for why we had to be involved in endless war in the Middle East and just expecting people to kind of, I don't know, insert a left or liberal reason for it when really people just kept sort of like the, the underlying neo-fascism, the underlying neoconservative xenophobia and Islamophobia had been cultivated under the Bush administration, it just kept going. It's like, and the reasons why we hated Bush became more and more ephemeral and more and more aesthetic and more and more, you know, like, because he put a bad face on America, he made everyone he made America look stupid. But everyone thinks America's stupid anyway. And again, I would say the reason people hated Bush, the aesthetic reasons, because Obama kind of made it harder to hate him for like the structural reasons, because he just continued and expanded them, are the same reason people hate Trump in some situations, because he's kind of like he is a you know it's mask off, but it's mask off for America. Everyone knows what Trump is about at this point, but this you know it's 
Trump is a mask off for America moment in a way that Bush necessarily wasn't. And Obama was the opposite of he was like a mask on or a black face on for America. And Trump is just like, no, no, no. America, you know, we're like we're invading countries for oil. It's not because we want to make the world a safer place. We want that. We want that fucking oil. Uh, we're like, I'm racist. We're racist. You know, we're doing like extreme fucking like concentration camps. We're doing like extreme redistribution of the wealth to like the highest one percent, like everything that pe- that allowed people plausible deniability about America which is what you know if I had to make one good statement about South Park from what I remember from watching it it's like they made a powerful point that like Americans in any sort of in group that can sort of effect- that effectively wills power any institution relies on the plurality of its citizenry in terms of ideological affinity and even just like the, the its figureheads to immunize it from critiques of america being a fucking shithole country that destroys that destroys the world because ultimately if you make that if you make the sort of argument that hey you know what the bad things that other countries do to america whether it's 9-11 or any number of other like essentially smaller terrorist attacks are direct results of large-scale geopolitical destabilization and rampant other shittery uh for lack of a more articulate in a specific term people kind of like point to like oh but america's a diverse place and it has good people and like you know not everyone is bad not everyone's in favor but that rationale doesn't really work for any other group it doesn't work for it doesn't work for any institution out of power it's just uh it's just the illusion of nuance when really it's muddying the waters around like the responsibility that america plays at the global level of like destroying the global (laughs) the globe yeah, one of the things that I think encapsulate, encapsulates that is the, I guess, Curacao uh, was a CIA agent that uh, basically in an ABC interview mentioned that uh, Z- uh, Zubadaya or uh, Zubaya was being tortured and was one of the only people to actually get punished or go to prison for anything related to the torture and waterboarding and so on and so forth that was uncovered by various leakers. The only people who know that, that, that's such a good point. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that the only people who have ever gone to jail for like exposing America's war crimes, I'm sorry, only people who have ever gone to jail for America's war crimes are people who exposed it. Like mm-hmm. Edward Snowden, uh, Chelsea Manning, uh, Curacao, and basically any other whistleblower were heavily prosecuted a lot by the Obama administration, really, because that like they again represented mask off moments. They embarrassed America even slightly. I would even argue that like most of the stuff that Chelsea Manning revealed, that Edward Snowden revealed, that Curacao revealed, no one cares. No one even remembers it. I remember it vaguely because this is what we do. But I would argue that most people, most Americans, don't even remember why Chelsea Manning is in jail, other than the fact that she leaked information. Right? Mm-hmm. No one remembers why uh, Edward Snowden is in jail really except for the fact that he leaked information uh but the small 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 crack that it represented in the image of america as this benevolent peacekeeping force that always plays by the rules or and if it doesn't it's just because it has to get things done like the world's cops like was represented just like a fucking small chink in that armor and they were heavily punished for it just because it, it, it was true. Like America fucking sucks. <laughs> I think it's impossible to not recognize that that's just a fact, right? Like that's part of, it's unfortunate. 
but it's part of how America works, right? That is what that is what this country was built on. This country has always been built on the segregation, murder, and destruction of others in the environment. Like that is what America's history is. And so there's and there's no sector into which that does not carry over to, right? Like it is consistent. Those the 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 systems of power are always there. You're always interacting with them. You are always under the boot somewhere. It's somehow, some way. The really like the biggest one of the biggest lies America has gotten away with, though, is telling people it's for their own good, right? So people believe, legitimately believe that bombing other countries, it's for those other countries' own good. They really like. There's this idea that America spreads democracy, right? And you and I see this in and with, with what's going on with uh, Hong Kong, right? With all of these annoying ass white liberals. White liberals, white quote unquote leftists, white con- like white you know anarchists, all those folks. <clears throat> Excuse me, you know I see them going on and on and on and on and on, and they're like China's a police state. China is authoritarian and is not actually communist. China is this that and the other thing, you know. Hot, like they're like I see a bunch of these bullshit free Hong Kong tweets and stuff like that, and I'm like none of you have any actual understanding of the role that police play in a society other than America, but you are so deep in American propaganda that in your mind, every country functions exactly like America does. But that's not the case. The idea of democracy in America is one wrong. We're not in a, we're not a democratic state. America's not a democracy. Like, let's be real about it. It's an authoritarian police state where there are quote unquote free elections, right? And when I say quote unquote free elections, no, I don't mean Russia's hacking our elections. It's bullshit. I mean that moneyed interests buy our elections. Let's be honest about what we're seeing. The issue with American elections is that people with money are able to get politicians to do whatever they want. They're able to lobby. They're able to bend the rules and have laws written to benefit them. So no, America is not a democracy. I think that actually really captures something that uh, that uh, Chad talked about earlier, and I think is kind of important to kind of encapsulate a bit is the the fundamental misunderstanding about the relationship between politicians, oligarchs, and the proletariat. Like, there's this idea in a lot of people's heads that in some way politicians are supposed to act as the mediator or, or the negotiator between the the people and are essentially our oligarchs or corporations or however you want to phrase it. And the the reality is, is they kind of are, but essentially that they only fill that role in so much as it is uh, – convincing the population uh, to acquiesce to the demands of their oligarchal overlords, essentially. And so, like, the idea that they stand in between us as, you know, in representing our interest, uh, as Dare points out, is is completely ri- ridiculous. What's really happening is they're just there to sell and to persuade us into believing that the, the systems and the oppression that the oligarchs are trying to impress onto us is for our, in our best interests, and whether that's foreign policy, domestic, or so on. Go ahead. I mean, the foreign policy question is kind of hard, which is why I speak about it in generality. It's not hard because, like, there are no good guys or bad guys on the foreign, on the, the global scale, because, I mean, it is more complicated than that, but sometimes it's not. The, the difficulty comes from the fact that there is very little to be done domestically or in considering the state that America's in. And I don't mean that in the isolationist term. I mean that in the sort of, you have to have a certain amount of, I don't know what you'd say, 
let's talk about self self reflection, right? It's like a, it's like a person who gets into relationship after relationship with people, uh, though they continually fuck them up through like through you know cheating or through abuse or or through various forms of neglect, um, but. Every time it like every time is a new time. Every time it's a new time to fucking like do better and try, but they never really go through the process of actually sort of self reflecting, sitting with why they behave that way, and sort of coming to terms with like, well, hey, you know, here's what I need to do better. And it's not necessarily to get into another relationship; it's to actively sit with myself and sort of re, you know, essentially have a reckoning, have go through go to therapy, sort of clean out my inbox, do all of the great stuff that whatever is necessary to become a better person, so I can have more more effective, more egalitarian, more, I don't know, more uh, fulfilling relationships, right? So the foreign policy question only becomes complicated when you realize that so much of American, so much American hegemony is neoconservative, right? And if people aren't actively anti-imperialist very core and they don't recognize the fact that hey there's this little part of you inside that thinks the world is just better or rather it's a little part of you who've been that has been taught from the beginning that the world is just better it's safer it's more fair when america is occupying every country when america's bombing country that america has the right to bomb countries america has the right to interfere in other countries um and so the critique of other countries becomes a little bit more different at least in, except in the broad strokes like hey this country did a war crime uh or this country did you know x y and z or like the here's the history like the critique of what of conflict in at the in abroad becomes complicated when you realize that like the next impulse with the people you're talking to is going to be okay so what can america do over there it's like well nothing and that's not to say there's never a good reason to intervene there are plenty of good reasons to intervene it's just that we might not be in the place where we can intervene and leave a place better than it is now and i think the instinctual reaction to that is like well how can it be worse it's like, well, let me tell you, friend, we can, we can, man, we can make it worse. Uh, we can definitely make it worse. And a lot of the stuff that's going on globally right now, as Adair has laid out, is like historical things, like things that are, are like finally bubbling over due to a mix of historically, you know, colonial relationships, the, the sort of the subdividing of continents, not based on the traditional regions of ethnic groups like India and Pakistan, but just, you know, wherever colonial powers decided. Or like, like like in Syria, like in and India, and Pakistan. That like, through, like we're still defending uh, opium in opi- poppy fields in Afghanistan. Exactly. Like, you, know, yeah. we're still, <laughs> you know, we're still defending poppy fields in Afghanistan. We're still like the CIA is still using the fucking opium and heroin slush funds to, to fucking fund illegal operations, probably. Uh, but ultimately, it's just it's not that intervening is in a vacuum always bad, or that like. America is always in the well. I mean, is always in the wrong. But it's not that America can never be in the right. It's that, like, at a certain point, there is a mentality in people that, like, that you are that you're always capable of helping. It's something where you're not. Like, you know, sometimes the best situation is to be single for a little bit, right? And to sort of continue this analogy about like uh, foreign intervention as a relationship, right? Sometimes, like, if you fuck up. 12 relationships in a row what you should do is you should be single for a while and understand why you're doing that not try to work it through as like not work try to work it through with you know with another person at the behest of like i don't know 
you know, we're rather with under the auspices that like, you know, experimentation and working through it with another person is the only an intimate partner situation is the only way to sort of get better. But that's usually not the case. Right. And, uh, you know, of course, there are situations where, again, this is me taking analogy too seriously, where like you might not feel you're ready for a relationship and you avoid it despite, you know, essentially being ready for one. But that's not where we're at. Where America has a country. America has fucked up. Literally, America was trying to do a coup last week. It still is technically, if you count like uh, Jack Ryan season two, nuclear Venezuela, uh, you know, coming out on Halloween, right? Like, you know, at that point, I'm surprised I didn't see anyone dressed up as flooding nuclear Venezuela as a, like and part of the village Halloween parade because that was a meme for a little bit. But like, ultimately, you know, again, part of power. If we're talking about unaccountability, part of unaccountability is that we're simply not allowed to draw conclusions from the past actions of America. We're not allowed to say, okay, well, America has fucked up literally every foreign intervention it's ever done. Like, you know, pretty much 100% of them, right? At least the ones that I know about, I can think off the top of my head, it's fucked them all up. It's like not fucking it up. Like, I don't know if that would be it, them actually failing or if it would be them uh, like like them leaving a country in a better state than they found it in. Right. Because we know, like I said, a lot of this is historical baggage in the cutting up of countries based on colonial powers being mixed with, you know, essentially neoliberal uh, austerity and late stage capitalism. Uh, you know, they had problems before. Now the problems are coming to a boil. But can that problem be solved by America intervening? No. So like. Like part of like so part of American intervention should be the first step is stop bombing every stop bombing everywhere and then like maybe fix your or fix you know fix the cultural fix the sort of the cultural values underpinning why we cannot be an effective and egalitarian partner both domestically or not partner domestically why we cannot be an effective and egalitarian actor domestic and abroad uh but again you know a lot of times when we engage in cultural criticism we engage in the most shallow form of it like well here are the excesses of capitalism here are the police shootings here is trump you know being a, a super racist and not with the underlying okay well here is is the underlying through line that is infecting all of our actions and all of our sort of you know more shallow ideological leanings if you know if we until we sort of reflect on that and sort of engage with it we can't do other things we can't do other things at least efficiently the people you know dare makes the point that hey you know what a lot of people who think they're socialists or cold some socialists or who identify as socialism socialists you know have racist or sexist or you know x y and z leanings they have imperialist leanings yeah you know at the same i got to argument today about how astrology could be used for eugenics like of course it could you know <laughs> basically but that's not an issue of astrology and it's not an issue of socialism it's an issue of like american culture and western cultural values like infecting other things because the people who are engaging with them or who are self-identifying or who are you know surrounding themselves with other people who are engaged in that hobby and forming a group about it are not fully understanding how their worldview has been shaped by certain cultural values from essentially birth when we talk about things and i think that's part of honestly i think that's why the idea of using the term socialist has become so attractive now that bernie sanders has started running for president right both the last cycle and this he's kind of he's morphed the idea of socialism by taking it from a republican talking point and using it as a badge of honor to talk about anybody who believes in kind of more a, a more equitable social structure in the united states right so domestically 
believes in a lot of social structure, believes in a marketable social social structure, really wants to implement some things, right, that have some tendencies, right? But he's not talking about nationalizing anything. On foreign actually, policy. Actually, he is. He is which, talking about nationalizing things. Which one? What is he trying to talk, talk about nationalizing? The public utilities. <laughs> okay, I'll give him that. Okay, cool. That's, that is absolutely a socialist leaning, right? So that is absolutely, that falls within theory. When we talk about his foreign policy and we talk about, again, the things that I mentioned before, he falls well short, but he's really likable. And he talks about issues that actually affect everyday Americans. And people like to hear that. Absolutely agree with a lot of his domestic issues. I do not agree with him on on uh, foreign policy issues. And that's part of where we run into the issues, right? So one, you can't just use words like they have no theory behind them. But also when we look at, when we really start examining why people that identify themselves as socialists are in, in America and in the West in general are largely problematic, it's because of that lack of nuances because of that lack of I'm not going to look at how I interact with the world outside of my own country. There's this level of chauvinism that Western folks have when it comes to the idea that the West is exceptional, the West is going to lead the way. And that's not necessarily the case. And I honestly don't think it should be the case, right? Like the reality is, if you are unwilling to identify and deal with your own internal issues, that includes racism, sexism, imperialism, all of these other things that we have been brought, that we've been given, not by choice, but by the fact that we grew up in a Western society, in our case, we grew up in America, these are the things that you are force fed from birth. And if you don't actively work on counteracting those narratives, you cannot, in my opinion, reasonably say, hey, I'm a socialist. You are either in solidarity with all folks across the world or you're in solidarity with nobody. Either your movement fights for the rights of all folks, it fights to lift everybody up or it fights to lift nobody up because we cannot fall into this trap of socialism at home, imperialism abroad. That's not how this shit works. So Americans really need to get their shit together and really spend some time dealing with their own internalized issues, dealing with the things that American society and Western society in general have given you, deal with your own shit and then come back and start looking at things in a broader picture. Absolutely. I agree with what you're saying there, Adair. Uh, although I would say about the, you know, words and theory, I was at an intersectional brunch with uh, Zerlina Maxwell and Joanne Reed, and they would disagree with you. But <laughs> uh, I, I would just say really, though, that uh, essentially one of the things that ca- like I think what you talk about with Bernie Sanders and essentially he's a social Democrat, you know, maybe like not even really a democratic socialist. And then there's socialism. And I think people understanding the distinctions and why they, these groups view themselves as distinct is important so that they can, if they're going to identify as a socialist or something else that they have some theory behind it to that point, uh, go ahead and plug uh, the left pocket project with Wendy Muse and uh, reading revolution that she brought me on to do as well, which which is basically me learning a lot of this theory and exploring it and uh, engaging with it and finding out what how I'm understanding it and, and relating it uh, as well with Wendy and uh, with the listeners as well. So uh, I encourage people to check that out. But I think as far as Bernie Sanders goes and the, the socialist label and the 
socialism at home and imperialism abroad. I think that's a really critical point. And uh, I think domestically we see it more circulated around how race and class uh, interact. And I think that that's uh, something that's going to continue to be an issue. But if we're going to be socialists and if you're going to call yourself a socialist, part of working through that is engaging critically both in the existing theory and then in the crafting and construction of uh, modern and current theory that applies to the situations that we face today in the context of today as well because while there's lots of insight and valuable information and that we shouldn't lose track of any of the historical information that we've accomplished uh, most uh, revolutionaries of history will tell us that we also have to be looking to new solutions for new problems as well uh, as recognizing uh, the same old tricks from the same old oligarchs or imperialists or oppressors and so I think uh, it's really important in solidarity uh, we recognize that a threat to justice or, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And so uh, in... Go ahead. Uh, you know, they probably both said it, but like, to, like uh, I think it's usually credited to uh, Davis or I don't I don't know who usually gets credit. I'm less of a stickler when it comes to identification because it's mostly, you know, labels and that kind of stuff are mostly for social grouping, right? I think there is a tendency on the left, not a left tendency, but tendency on the left to like, forget that most people are doing this because like they feel alienated from the many things that we are currently being exposed to as, a, you know, as we relate to the world through the lens of capitalism and neoliberalism, neoconservatism. So it's a little conservatism. So ultimately like people are looking for belonging. And so the left primarily is a social group because everything's primarily a social group, right? So, you know, how people identify at the core is, you know, less important than I think some people have, not some people like a dare, but some people like not a dare uh, online <laughs> tend to pretend it is. Um, at the same time, uh, Bernie identifying a socialist makes sense to me because like they were going to call him it anyway. They called Obama a socialist, right? And, you know, and despite what we may have believed about his level of progressiveness, I don't think anyone was like, oh yeah, Obama is a Muslim Kenyan uh, atheist tranny uh socialist which is like kind of what they you know you know that's in my feed right now (laughs) that's literally literally in my feed essentially right now like that that's a a direct quote from like this dude named diley diley whatever i think he's talking about michelle obama because like they love making fun of her too right you know for racist reasons uh but ultimately you know like it was very easy to fall into the trap of, of defending Obama because like he had so many detractors who were on some real fucking negative racist shit, like just real egregious shit that like was easy to, that was easy. And it was easy to lose like the legitimate criticism or to ignore the legitimate criticism and just highlight the like racist birther shit that was happening. And, you know, and also just like, I guess, you know, finally, I think it's a little, unfortunate that we are still going to be dealing with like you know again I, I start off saying Obama is my least favorite president and I, I stand by that but only because of like the sheer self-righteousness of it like you know 
saying trying to rank them as who's worst or who's best always leads to the conversation but what about andrew jackson what about the ones who literally own slaves what about the ones who like rape people constantly the slaves of course like thomas jefferson or you know ex you know or george washington or whatever and you know that question of itself raises interesting moral quandaries about how do we balance shittiness amongst people right it's like is it worse to own slaves than it is to engage in like an endless bombing exercise in a part of the world that has nothing to do with like the inherent problems of the united states as a way to distract from the inherent problems of the united states while enriching a very few people and also feeding the worst impulses of our culture right it's like is like is slavery worse or is it just the same impulse right like I then I think the second part is the more accurate take where it's like, well, yeah, slavery is bad, obviously, to be for a pretty banal take, right? I hope banal, but like it's not as though slavery disappeared, just like we said last episode, not that though lynching disappeared. It's not as though slavery disappeared, it's not though lynching disappeared. It's just that those the in the underlying impulses that were contributing factors to it, uh, we never really unpacked. We never really dis- we never really engaged with slavery as not necessarily uh, you know anomalous event that occurred well essentially for four five hundred years more or less, but also like as being deeply rooted in a lot of our kind of rather deeply rooted in our understanding of the world and how it continues to be deeply rooted in the way we engage with other countries, maybe not specifically or explicitly based on the idea of race and racism, but at least implicitly. So, you know, you see you have people like, oh, is Obama worse than, you know, Andrew Jackson, who led like the, the genocide, who was super into the genocide of the Native Americans, the Trail of Tears and violating the treaties. Like, that's a hard question, right? It's a hard question because ultimately the they prop up the same systems. It's like, so really you're asking me to make various judgments based on whether, you know, one, not anachronistically, but one is being judged in hindsight and we're, and we broadly agree that that shit is bad. And the other is a little bit, it's still a little bit fresh. So it's harder to problematize. So it, because though I, I can't accurately say one is worse than the other. And I, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable like just judging based on sheer numbers because Obama is definitely responsible for more deaths. Right. Like, you have to be just like just to, just to, just by nature of the what kind of weapons we use now and, and the population density he has to be so really the same goes is true of trump and the same was true of george w bush and you know on and on and the same will be true of president cuck fuhrer 420 uh so you know at the end of this episode I guess we're coming to terms, I guess I'm coming to terms with the fact that like, I don't like Obama. Uh, I'm tired of people like implicitly thinking I should be defending him. And I'm also tired of the whole conversation about like who is like, you know, what's the worst president? Who's the worst president? Let's go back to Obama. No, Obama was trash. And really we wouldn't have gotten here if it wasn't for Obama because all he really had to do. And I guess at a certain point you say he's not, I, I said he's not really responsible for our cultural lack of accountability in that he didn't start it. But you can say he's like responsible for it in the sense that like he had the opportunity to stop it more so than anyone else like more so than anyone else he had the ability to like have a reckoning about one of the greatest you know injustices and you know crimes and negligence of the american history but you know only followed by pearl harbor i guess but he chose not to and so we're here now and partially that's because he chose not to really litigate what happened or really even to put up a good enough 
case for why the Republican Party should not be allowed to continue their downward spiral into explicit fascism. Uh, one of the, to kind of touch on the point I was making about like theory and what we need to do today. One of the things that comes to my mind is uh, which side are you on? There's like the popular what is it like uh, I want to say uh, Pete Seeger, but then the version that I think is more uh, apt for today, and I think yeah everybody should listen to is the which side are you on remix with rebel diaz and dead prez and uh, one of the opening lines is uh like to welcome you folks to uh to uh, to essentially want to welcome the people uh to the side of folks that knew obama sold the people a hoax and so i think that understanding that there's already a battle being waged and it's uh, liberals are on the wrong side of it and uh, associating or trying to make ends or negotiate with them is uh, often uh, an exercise in futility, I think, as Obama demonstrated. So for those listening, I was in a car accident at 20 miles an hour on a longboard, broke my elbow. Subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the Patreon so I can buy weed and not be in pain. <laughs> Less opiates. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like Richard could at least give you a deal with some crack. But yeah. <laughs> I've been in this game for years. Uh, it made me an animal. It's rules to the shit. Uh-huh. I wrote me a manual, step by step booklet for you to get your game on track. Not your wig pushed back. Rule number uno. Never let no one know how much dough you hold. Cause you know. The tread of breed jealousy, especially if that man fucked up. Get your ass stuck up. Number two, never let them know your next move. Don't you know bad boys move in silence and violence? Take it from your honest. Uh huh. I done squeeze mad clips at these cats for they bricks and chips. Number three, never trust nobody. Your mama set that ass up properly, gassed up. Hoodie the masked up. For that fast buck, uh-huh. she be laying in the bushes to light that ass up. Number four, know you heard this before. Never get high on your own supply Number five Never sell no crack where you rest at I don't care if they want to ounce Tell them bounce Number six That goddamn credit Get it You think a crackhead paying your back Shit, forget it Seven This rule is so underrated Keep your family and business completely separated Money and blood don't mix Like two dicks and no bitch Find yourself in serious shit Number eight Never keep no weight on you Them cats that squeeze your guns can hold jumps too Number nine should've been number one to me If you ain't getting back, stay the fuck from police uh-huh. If niggas think you're snitching, they ain't trying to listen They be sitting in your kitchen, waiting to start hitting Number ten, a strong word called consignment Strictly for live men, not for freshmen uh-huh. If you ain't got the clientele, say hell no Cause they gon' want their money, rain, sleep, hell snow Follow these rules, you'll have mad bread to break uh-huh. up If not, 24 years on the wake up Slug hit your temple, watch your frame shake up Caretaker did your makeup When you pass, your girl fuck my man Jacob Heard in three weeks, she sniffed a whole half a cake up Heard she suck a good dick and could hook a steak up Gotta go, gotta go, more pies to bake up Word up, uh. Crack King, Frank Wizard Four, five, six, 